Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed, and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. As I said, we have arrived. This is the end of our study from the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not real young. I thought I'd get an amen out of that. I'm not real young, and this is probably the last time I will ever get to preach through this book of Ecclesiastes. So it's the first and the last. And I'm sort of personally sad to see this come to an end. I have really enjoyed this study in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a challenge. It has been a challenge, and I will share some of that in the message this morning. But at the same time, it's been a great blessing to study this book in the Word of God. Even though the book of Ecclesiastes is over 3,000 years old, folks, it is just as contemporary today. And we've seen this in this study. It is just as contemporary today as it was in the day that Solomon wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. People are still seeking purpose and, and meaning to their lives and satisfaction in life through mirth and through wisdom and through having a good time and through wealth and through physical relationships, thinking all of those things are just going to supply what I need in life. And you know what? They're still finding out that none of those things truly satisfy the soul. You can have all the money in the world and you still want more. So many people have a good mate and yet they want another one and, and so forth and so on. And what it appears is that Solomon is, record remember Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines so he thought, you know, relationships will do it. But Solomon seems to be recounting his experience and maybe he's saying, because you notice in these verses that we read he makes this reference, my son. Maybe he's passing this along to his son. But maybe he's saying this, don't fall into the same traps that I fell into. Don't think the things that I thought would give pleasure will truly give you pleasure. So what you sense is the passion, the heartfelt passion of a father who's speaking to his son. And he desperately wants his son to hear this. He desperately wants his son to heed this powerful message that he has for his son. I'm so glad we have a good number of young people here this morning. I hope you will listen to this. I hope you will take note to this uh, for your life. This is the kind of note that a father would write his son. And as he handed him a Bible, as the son headed off to college, he'd slip that note in the back of the Bible. The son, when you get to college, read this note. Or maybe the son's going out into the world on his own. It's fatherly advice. And it is incredibly serious instruction. And it comes from the Word of God. Young people, I'm going to address you for a moment. You would do well to listen to the advice and the instruction of your parents. Amen. And I'm going to tell you why. See, we've been down the road of life a little bit farther than you have. 
And here's the advantage of being down the road of life. Let's just say we were traveling and Joni and I were in a car together and some of you were following behind us, but we left about an hour or two before you did. We could always call back and say, now when you get to this mile marker, there's a detour. Or when you get to this place, there's an accident. You need to be careful. Or maybe the road's out over here. And because we've been farther down the road of life, we know where the bumps are and we know where the potholes are and we know where the detours are. And if young people would just listen to their parents and to older people, they could avoid a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties in their lives. Technologies I realize have changed. I didn't grow up with iPads and computers and that sort of thing. We actually had to dial the telephone, you know, when we called somebody. I saw something on Facebook, somebody standing there with a receiver. Now, young people don't know what a receiver of a telephone is, do they? But with a receiver of a telephone like this, and they said, only if you grew up in that age will you understand it. Because today you take your phone out and you take a selfie like this, so we hold in the receiver like that. I know technologies have changed. Things are a lot differently. And some of it is good and some of it maybe not so good. And technologies will change, but the basics of this world and the basic nature of mankind has not changed. And so Solomon is offering this instruction. He's pointing out this instruction. I mentioned last week, we have the beginnings of a very good young adult group in this class. And I'm going to address that group. And maybe there's not a lot of them here this morning, but I'm going to address them. It's going to be, and it currently is, up to you to carry on the work of this church. Amen. Now, I know not a one of us can guarantee tomorrow. Not a one of us knows that we'll be alive tomorrow but we're looking toward those who are coming after us to carry on the work of this church. And the only way to do it is to pay close attention to the kind of wisdom that Solomon is giving here in this book of Ecclesiastes. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at these last few verses this morning. And the first thing that we're going to see is what I call the commendation of wisdom. The commendation of wisdom, because you look at what he says in verse 9, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Now listen, there has to be a subject to every teaching. I think we understand that. I mean, if you just get up and start rambling on about many different things, many different thoughts, many different ideas, you know what that is? That's called rambling on. There's no real subject, no real direction to it. And so the preacher... Talking about Solomon here, preached knowledge. He shared knowledge with the people. He taught the people. Have you ever wondered what is involved in teaching? You say, well, preacher, I know what's involved in teaching. Well, over in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, and the eighth verse is a verse of scripture that I have applied to my teaching and to my preaching for many, many years. Verse eight says, now remember, this is the, what we call the revival at the water gate. That's not a hotel in Washington. That's the water gate in the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And the people of Israel were revived. The walls had been rebuilt. And so they're having this service. And they, verse 8 says, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There's teaching right there. there there's good biblical preaching right there. It says they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. That word means clearly. They read it in such a way that everybody could understand it. 
And that may have been loudly. That may have been, remember, there were a lot of people there and they didn't have microphones, but they read distinctly so it could be understood. They separated the Word of God from ideas and from opinions. And I've always tried with you to, I'm going to give you an opinion. I'm going to tell you it's my opinion, but if it's the Word of God, you can do with my opinion what you want, but with the Word of God, you might ought to listen to the Word of God. You better listen to the Word of God. And then it says, not only did they read distinctly, they gave the sense. Well, what does that mean? They gave the meaning. They read the verse, and they said, now here's what God's saying. That's what it means to give the sense. But then this, they caused them to understand the reading. That's application. They say, here's what God's saying, and here's how we apply it in our lives. Here's how we live this out. Here is how we practice this in our day-to-day -day living. You know what preaching is? You know what teaching is? It is handling the Word of God. Amen. There's nothing that is so important that is any more important. Maybe that is as important as handling the Word of God. We have some good teachers in this church. And I'm thankful that we do. Because when we start handling the Word of God, we must handle it carefully. And we must handle it truthfully. And we must be very careful when we're presenting it so that people understand what, not what the preacher is saying, but what the Word of God is saying. Amen. He says, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Well, preacher, what's knowledge? Well, here's our English definition, and it goes right along with the meaning of the word from the language. Awareness or familiarity of a fact or situation which is gained by experience. Facts about a situation. Experience in a situation. He's not just standing there doling out facts. A lot of people want to do that. But that's not what he's doing. He's giving information and he's applying the information. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2? Preach the word. That's so simple. Makes me wonder why so many people don't do it these days. But he just says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. And you know what that means? Preach the word. And when people don't want to hear it, preach it. When it's popular, preach it. When it's not popular, preach it. Preach the word of God. Declare the word of God. And then he says this. Reprove. And that sort of means stand somebody up and show them where they're wrong. Okay. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort, that word exhort means encourage. He's saying not only preach the word, whether they want to hear it or don't want to hear it, but give the sense of it. Apply it. Tell people how, teach people how to use the word of God. By the way, and I shared this with you on Facebook just this week. Here's why we're to teach the word. Here's why we're to apply the word. A healing balm does not do any good if you don't apply it. We have some triple antibiotic at home, right? What if you have a cut and you don't ever put it on? Well, I got it in the tube and I'm holding it here. It's never going to do any good unless it's out of the tube and on the wound. And the same is true with the Word of God. You can carry a Bible in your hand all day long. You can come to church every Sunday. But unless you apply what you hear and put it to practice, it does you very little, if any, good at all. Amen. And he taught the people. He taught the people. See, you're not a teacher unless you're teaching. He taught the people. A teacher teaches people. When our son was little, he was about three years old, I was pastoring a church and there was an apartment 
behind us and the lady that lived in that apartment told me what she saw one day. He had listened to, watched his daddy preach and so he was out in the backyard standing, made him a little pulpit and he was up there just preaching away. But he had no congregation. And so sometimes you have to have, you've got to have people and you've got to be teaching people where people can absolutely understand it. Amen. You're not teaching if you're not presenting it where people can understand it. Some of my favorite preachers to listen to are those who just make the Word of God so clear. And they make the application of the Word of God so clear. They preach the truth. And they explain things in a way that's very easy to be understood. When I first started preaching and before I started pastoring, I had a six, seven, and eight-year-old children's chapel. And a man said to me, a preacher said to me, when you come out of, we used to call it, this was big church. We had children's chapel and we had big church. And so he said, when you come out of chapel and you're preaching in big church, he said, you just keep it on that six, seven, and eight-year-old level and you'll be fine. And you know what? That's what I've tried to do. Just tried to keep my teaching and my preaching on that level. Not that I think you have the mentality of six, seven, and eight-year-olds, but it's easily understood that way. Go back to Nehemiah. They read distinctly. They gave the sense. They made the application of it as they shared it with the people. They caused the people to understand. Now, Paul said this in relation to speaking in tongues or speaking in languages. But I think it has an application right here. This is from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. He said, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? If the preacher gets up in the pulpit, and preaches a message that nobody understands, what's the use of it? What's the benefit of it? He went on to say this in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 14, I had rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. You can know great amounts about a subject, and you can get up and present those great amounts about a subject, but if you're not teaching it in a way that people can understand it, you're not really doing any good. I heard a story about a little girl in a church service like this, she was sitting beside her mother. And she said, Mommy, why does the preacher always pray before he starts his sermon? Starts preaching his sermon. And the mother answered her. And she said, well, darling, she said, he's asking God to help him preach a good sermon and preach it in a way so people understand it. And the little girl said, Mommy, why doesn't God answer his prayers? <laughs> I don't want to be one of those kinds of preachers. And so there is the presentation of truth, but there's the preparation of it also. The preacher, he says, taught knowledge. The preacher gave good heed. He sought out and set in order many proverbs. It says he sought to find acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. He didn't preach without knowing what he was talking about. Have you ever heard anybody try to teach or try to preach a message without knowing what they're talking about? I think sometimes I may have tried to do that. People ask, preacher, what do you do during the week? Because we know that preachers only work two days a week, right? Sunday and Wednesday. Thank you, Deacon. I appreciate that. Well, I don't just show up on Sunday morning and say whatever pops into my head. Now, it may sound like that sometimes. But I don't do that. See, you have to pray and you have to read and you have to study and you have to think about and you have to consider the message ahead of time. That's what I've tried to do with the book of Ecclesiastes. I told the Sunday school class, that's I'm going to share this with you and I'll share it in the message. But over these last several months, I have read commentaries. 
I have read notes. I have listened to sermons. I've even found a site where I can look at other preachers' outlines. But it's just time spent ingesting all of this teaching from the Word of God that I might be able to present it to you. So he says, the preacher pondered. He thought on these things. You know, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you. And by the way, if I go a little bit over this morning, y'all excuse me, this is my last chance at Ecclesiastes, all right? But a lot of times, I'll spend some time reading, studying, and get it all in my head, and then I'll just go outside and I'll walk around in the yard, or I'll go dig in my garden, or I'll tie the tomatoes up, or just whatever I need to do. But I'm not doing nothing. It's going on up here. It's consideration. It's thinking. What is God saying? And so he looked at all of these proverbs, and he studied all of this, and he weighed it, and he examined it intelligently. Listen, folks, there's a big difference between reading the Bible and reading at the Bible. I'll give you an illustration of that when I was in seminary, there was a particular book we had to read. This was a part of our grade. And at the end of the semester, we had to say, I have read this book. Well, I got the book and I called all the words in the book, but I couldn't tell you today even the title of the book. I did what I was required to do, but I didn't study the book. I didn't learn the lesson from the book. And that's the way a lot of people do the Bible. They just, well, I want to read through the Bible. And they read through and they call all of these words, but they never get the message from the Bible. And so there's a difference between reading the Bible and reading at, just calling the words of the Bible. Prayer and meditation is what we need. Letting the words, here's the idea of, of meditating on the Bible, letting the words just revolve around in our heads for a little while. i tell you a good practice. Now, you have to pay attention to your driving if you're going to do this, but get a verse of Scripture in your head, and if you're driving somewhere, work on that mentally. Pay attention to your driving now. Work on that mentally, though, and let God speak to your heart through that verse of Scripture you got in your head. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Word of God says this. Study, and that word study means give diligence. That means work at it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Listen to the instruction to this young Timothy from the uh, elder Apostle Paul. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Drop down to verse 15. Meditate upon these things. These things just talking about the reading, the exhortation, the doctrine. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Get the word of God not just in your head, but get it in your heart. Spend some time on it and your profiting in the word of God will be obvious, will be evident to other people. And this says the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Again, it's not enough just to have knowledge. You have to have it arranged in such a way that it seems intelligent when you present it. You know, I thought about what Brother Zach goes through trying to keep up with me on the PowerPoint when I'm preaching. I do have it arranged, and I hope intelligently, but sometimes it's a challenge to him to try to keep up with where I am in the message. I provide him with you know, a copy of my outline and so forth. And still, it's a, it's a challenge for him to keep up with that. But it's got to be presented in an orderly fashion when you're presenting the Word of God. It's got to be presented in such a way that it will get and keep the attention of those who are listening to the Word of God being presented. I tell people, I am a noted preacher. I am heavily noted, okay? 
Somebody asked me one time, do you write out your sermons? I said, nope, but I sure prepare some heavy outlines, you know. <laughs> and then I depend upon the Holy Spirit, folks, Amen. to direct my words either to what I have studied or away from what I have studied. Because this is not Brother Jim giving a speech demonstration, okay? I said that one time at the end of a message and a 92-year-old deacon sitting off to my right said, Amen. <laughs> I said, if it's been an example of a speech demonstration, it's been a poor one. He said, Amen to it. But this is a message from the Word of God. And that's what Solomon is trying to get. And most importantly, he sought to communicate the truth. And that's all I want to do. I have a saying, sometimes we preachers get real excited in our preaching. And we forget to tell the truth. <laughs> it's some things that just sound so good when they come out of your mouth. When you listen to them later, you say, I wish I hadn't done that. But we have to tell the truth. Do you know that people today believe that truth is relative? Amen. You know, what's true to me and truth to me may not be truth to you. And so people believe that truth is relative. You know, the Bible doesn't know anything about that. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. John 17, 14, Jesus is praying. He's praying before going to the cross. And Jesus is praying and he says, as he speaks to the Father, I have given them thy word. And then in verse 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. By the way, 1 John 2, 21 says, no lies of the truth. Preach the truth. Preach the word of God. A lie can get all dressed up in eloquence, but you know what? It's still a lie. Doesn't matter how well you dress it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible is called the word of truth. And so Solomon said the preacher sought to present the truth. He's making it clear that the message that is being presented is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. Then there's the correction of wisdom. What do you mean the correction of wisdom? Well, he gives us in verse 11, two contrasting images of the wisdom of the word. Two contrasting images. He says, first of all, that the words of the wise are as goads. Now, you know what a goad was? I started to bring one. It was a, either a sharp stick or a club with a spike in the end of it. And you know what it was used for? You got a stubborn animal, goad him along. You know, just poke him with that goad. He'll move. And so he says the words of the wise are as goads. And then he says they're like nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. Now we know what a nail is. We know what a nail is used for. Nails are hammered into something to keep it in place, right? And so it's a goad and it's a nail. One is temporary. The goad is temporary. It's just used a little bit and urges an animal along. A nail is permanent. But you know what? Both are sharp and both are penetrating. And folks, that's the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God will reveal to you why you do what you do. The Word of God will reveal to you why you are as you are. It divides, it says, to the thoughts and the intents. It will show us who and what we are. And somebody said this, and I liked it, faithful preachers need to carry a goad to the pulpit every time they preach. 
Just get up in the pulpit and I've got this club with a spike in the end of it and I'm going to poke a little bit, all right? To get us to move. We studied this morning in Sunday school about the cursings and the blessings that God gave Israel from the book of Deuteronomy. Now I appreciated what Brother Sean pointed out. He said, do you realize how many more cursings there are than blessings? God says, I want you to be obedient. And I'll bless you if you're obedient, but here's the danger, okay? And I use that to talk about how many, do you know why the Lord's churches aren't being blessed like we'd like them to be today? Because of our failure of God, folks. We've not done what God would have us to do. We need to carry a goad to the pulpit. Sometimes we need to be goaded in the right way. Someone's comfortable with their life, use the goad, all right? Just stick them a little bit. Somebody is having trouble in their life and they need to be comforted, just nail them down into a secure place with the Word of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Psalm 93, verse 5, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The testimonies talks about a witness. Sure, it talks about they're, they're full of faithfulness. They can be dependent upon. They're permanent. They're true. They're certain. Matthew Henry said this, the word of God is as a goad to such as are dull and draw back. There's nails to those that are wavering and inconsistent to fix them into a good place. That's why we preach and teach the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This does not contain the word of God. This is the word of God. Amen. One preacher that I listened to during all the times of preparation, and I listened to him several times. He would get up and when he got through with his comments prior to reading his text, before he read his text, he'd say, this is now the word of God. I like that. And then he would just read his text. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. To somebody that's burdened by the trials of this life, you know what they need? They need the Word of God. They need to listen to the Word of God. Solomon says, and there's a reason he says it, he says the preacher is good at pushing you down the right path. And it's not because the preacher is so smart. And it's not because the preacher is so astute. It's because the preacher gets his instruction from the Word of God. Now, I know there are preachers, and you can see them on television. You can probably hear them on the radio that have feel-good sermons that just want you to make you feel all right. Don't worry, everything, the sun's going to come out tomorrow, you know, and everything will be all right. But listen, if you're not serving God and you're not faithful to God, it may not be all right tomorrow. The preacher gets his instruction from the one shepherd. That's what he talks about here, from the one shepherd. And that one shepherd is God. Every message that comes out of this pulpit better be from the Word of God. Amen. We don't preach sociology, psychology, politics, or any of that around here. We preach the Word of God. And I'll say it again, and not just to get an amen, okay? But the Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. And this preacher, and I believe this church, stands on that Word. Amen. Verse 12 presents both an instruction and a warning right in the middle of this teaching 
on wisdom. He says, and further, by these. What's he talking about when he says by these? He's talking about the words. He's talking about the truth. He's talking about wisdom. And by these, the proverbs of the preacher, be admonished. You know what it means to be admonished? It means to be taught. It means to be strengthened. There is a wisdom we need to hear, folks. There's a wisdom this nation needs to hear, and it's not being heard, and it is God's wisdom. But beyond that, be careful. Just be careful. God's wisdom is necessary. But anything beyond God's wisdom needs to be examined very carefully, and it needs to be examined by the Word of God, whether it is actually wisdom or not. Again, Matthew Henry, the sacred writings, the inspired writings are sufficient to guide us in the way of true happiness and we need not in the pursuit of that to fatigue ourselves with the search of other writings. I put something else on Facebook and I think I put it on the church's page this time. said, isn't it amazing? People want to read books about the Word of God, but they don't want to read the Word of God. I'd rather read the Word of God than even what I say about the Word of God, okay? And you'd think I'd like my opinion, wouldn't you? But I prefer the Word of God. And at the same time, he says this, of making many books, there is no end. And here's what the preacher's saying. Be careful. Don't believe everything you read. There's only one time you can believe everything you read, and it's right here. Don't believe everything you read because not everything comes from the one shepherd. Not everything comes from God. The opinions of men. We have Sunday school quarterlies that we use in Sunday school. I got news for you. Those are not divinely inspired. We use them. They're guides. But there's been a few times I've taken issue with some things that have been said. Okay? Not everything comes from God. The world will never quit writing books that tell us how to live. Not every commentary, not every study. And as I've gone through the study in the book of Ecclesiastes, I told the Sunday school class this. I said, you know what? Some of these outlines that I read and some of these commentaries that I read and some of these sermons that I heard, I don't know how some churches are getting fed the Word of God. I mean, when you try to teach the Bible with a Greek fable, uh, that's, <laughs> that doesn't cut it for me. And so I wonder how some folks are getting fed the Word of God, if they're getting fed the Word of God at all. The world will never quit doing that. Not everything comes from the one shepherd. Not every commentary, word study, writer, preacher should be believed. What have I said how many times? We don't know how many times I've said it because I've said it so much. You need to know the Word of God. Amen. You do. Well, that's your job, preacher. No, that's your job. So if this preacher ever gets out of line and teaches something that's not according to the Word of God, you can say, wait, 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 wait. That's not in the Bible. That's not true. And examine everything by the Word of God. If God's Word cannot convince us of the vanity of the world and the necessity of being faithful to Him, if we read every book in the world, we wouldn't be convinced. Because the Bible, the Word of God, is the one that has the power. And then he says this, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. I can agree with that. Much study is a weariness to the flesh. You can weary your brain and you can exhaust your strength by a protracted study 
and meditation on books and still not gain any insight into the world and to what's going on in the world. This is not a lament against study. This is not a lament against reading. It's a lament against the wisdom that the world will throw at us and say, you need to do this. You need to live like this. You need to conduct yourself this way. And Solomon is saying, don't just study for the purpose of gaining information. Don't just study for the purpose of getting facts or for the sake of study itself. Rather, your goal is to be an application of what you read, an application of what you study as a child of God. Remember 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Meditate upon these things, 1 Timothy 4, so that your profiting may appear appear to all people. Remember this, and I don't know where I found this, I borrowed it from someone. If a man or a woman does not have Jesus as Savior, regardless of what else they know, they are deceived on the most important level. Don't believe everything the world tells you. There is God's wisdom and then there is everything else. Saturate yourself with God's wisdom and be very skeptical of everything else. I read something, I read it with one eye turned toward the Word of God and the other eye turned toward what I'm reading. How does it match up to what God's Word says? Well, then he gives us the conclusion of wisdom. And if I could stand in the next few weeks before a 2022 graduating class, I mean, I don't expect to be invited to do that, but if I could do that, I would tell them this, and maybe you can share it with them, in your life, you're going to learn a lot of things. Young people, in your life, you're going to learn a lot of things. And you're going to be asked to process a whole lot of information. The world's just going to, and I think it's getting worse and worse. We're in the information, or they used to say in the information age. But if you can filter through it all, and if you can rank it in order of importance, here's the truth that should be at the top of your list. That's the Word of God. It is absolutely the most important thing. Amen. Here's the conclusion. When everything's been heard, when everything's been said, remember Solomon tried wine, women, and song. He tried mirth. He tried wisdom. He tried relationships. I mean, he tried it all. And when everything had been said and done, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he came down to. Fear God and remember, we're talking about the wisest man who's ever lived now. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon's sharing what he's learned. He's coming to the book, of, in the book of Ecclesiastes and he's sharing what he has learned and he says this, fear God, reverence God. That's what it means to fear. I believe also there's an indication, fear what God can do if you disobey him. But reverence God, respect God and observe his commandments. Observe doesn't mean just look at them. Observe means to do them. And one of the reasons that we face so many problems in our world, and one of the reasons that we face so many problems in our nation, and one of the reasons that we face so many problems in our churches today, folks, is because there is no fear of God. God is God. He is supreme. He is above everyone and everything. He created you. He created me. 
We need to reverence and respect God and there is no fear of the consequences of our sin in our world today. Why would someone for no particular reason walk into a market and just start gunning people down because he felt a hatred toward these people? Why would someone strap a bomb to himself and walk into a group of people and blow himself up? All religious reasons. Oh, this reason, that reason. But there's no fear of God here. That's what's happening in our world. And he says, for this is the whole duty of man. I said at the outset, people today are still searching for the meaning. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'm searching for the meaning of life. I'm trying to figure out my life. I'm trying to figure out. I've, I've always been amazed at the people who are trying to figure out who they are. Well, I don't know who I am. Looked in the mirror lately. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I know who I am. And, and if I have problems knowing who I am, guess what? There's a driver's license right there that tells me. <laughs> you know, I know, I, I understand what they're saying, but it's sort of silly to say, I, well, I'm just trying to figure out who I am. I tell you, you're one of two people. You're either a sinner who is lost and on the way to hell, or you're a child of God because you repented toward God and put your faith in Christ and were saved. There's only two kinds of people in this world. One preacher said, it's the saints or the ain'ts. Well, you know, you're either saved or you're lost. That's it. And that's the only kind of people there are in this world. But there are people today searching for purpose and meaning to their lives, and they're trying to figure out who they are. Well, he just says, serve God and keep his commandments. Or respect God and keep his commandments. That's your whole duty. That's the completion of it. I don't know of anybody who has ever faithfully served God who came to this point that they said, you know, toward the end of their life, they said, well, I, there's just something missing in my life. Serving God is the fulfillment of life. Serving God is the fulfillment of our purpose. Why did God put me here? That's a lot of questions. Why did God put us on this? Why did God make us? Why are we here? We are here because an all-knowing, all-powerful creator put us here, but he put us here. He wants to fellowship with his creation, and he put us here that we may fellowship with him and that we may faithfully serve him. That's our purpose. Amen. It doesn't get any more complicated than that, but men have made it complicated. And if we learn nothing else, we need to learn that God is a righteous judge. And God is going to judge every person and every deed, whether it's good or evil. You have not escaped his radar. You know that thing that you did that no one knows about because you thought you were alone and nobody was watching? God saw it. In fact, one of the most powerful lessons I ever learned, I was about 10 years old. We had a Sunday school teacher this has stayed here for all of the, I mean, 10 years to now, that's been, well, we won't say how many years. But he said, there was a little boy one day decided he'd steal a watermelon. And he went out and he looked to the left and he looked to the right and he looked in front of him and looked behind him and nobody was watching and he stole the watermelon. And this teacher said, but he forgot to look up. There may not be anybody that you can see that's watching you, but I tell you what, God's watching you. And in the great courtroom of heaven, he will bring it to light. To the young people for a moment. You may think you fooled your mama. That's doubtful. Mamas have a way of finding out things, you know. Or if they didn't find it out, they have a way of tricking you into admitting what you did. Okay. 
I don't want to tell all of their secrets. You may have fooled your spouse. That's also doubtful. You may have fooled your grandma. That's possible. You know, grandparents think their grandchildren can't do anything wrong. You may well have fooled your pastor and that is probable because I'm going to tell you what I think. I want to believe that everybody that is a member of this church, especially those who are faithfully attenders of this church, I want to believe that each and every one of them is the most godly, most respectful, respectable person that there is. In other words, I believe that you're not going to go out here and do something you shouldn't do. But you do not have God fooled. You cannot and you will not fool God. And one day we'll stand before God and we will give an account for our actions. It doesn't matter if they were good. It may be our faithfulness. We'll answer for that. It may be our unfaithfulness. It may be our commitment. It may be our lack of commitment. But we will give an answer. Matthew 16, verse 27. Jesus said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 because he, talking about God, hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Judgment's coming folks. Judgment's coming for this nation. Judgment's coming for this world and judgment is coming for each and every person that has lived, that is living or that will live. And so Solomon concludes by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. First of all, here's one of the reasons he says that that's the source of true happiness. You want to be happy? Fear God and keep his commandments. Amen. Not only because it's the whole duty of man, it's the whole honor, it's the whole interest, it's the whole happiness of mankind. And the conclusion is that true rest can be found only in living a life of obedience to God especially if you're a child of God. And the second, again, is judgment. Motivation for doing all of the will of God. Everything be brought into judgment. And even if we don't care for finding happiness in our own lives, maybe the thought of having to give an account for our lives will cause us to live differently day in and day out. Well, we're wrapping it up. Boy, I hate to see this come to a close, but we're going to close it. Throughout the book, Solomon has carefully considered a premise that's commonly held today of a life lived without the thought of eternity and without the thought of an eternal God, of a life that is lived, and this is the title of this series has been, of a life that is lived purely under the sun, without thought of God, without thought of eternity. And his conclusion and challenge is this, for people who believe that way, and I hope none of you do. What will it be like if things are utterly different than what you think? That there is a God. That there is an eternity. That there is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a judgment. What if this world is not the ultimate world? Some people live like this world is all there is. But what if it's not? What if God exists? And what if a God is a rewarder of those who seek him and he is the judge for all mankind? What then? And the truth is this. There is a God in heaven. Amen. And this world is not the only world there is. 
And ultimately that God in heaven will be our judge. The saved will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and Romans 14, verse 10, and 2 Corinthians says that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to answer to the Lord Jesus. We're going to answer to the one who died on Calvary that we might have life, and we'll answer for our lives as children of God. And the unsaved will stand before the great white throne judgment of God to be judged out of those things that are written in the 66 books of the Bible and according to their works. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the message that Solomon has for us today. The most important decision that any human being can make is not who I'm going to marry, what school I'm going to go to, whether I'm going to buy a house, build a house, whatever. The most important decision that any human being can make is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And at the moment the Holy Spirit convicts you of your need of Christ, that's the moment to accept Him, to turn to Him, not say, I'll wait, I'll put it off, I'll do it another day. Because you know what? It gets easier to say no each time you say no to the Holy Spirit. The whole duty of man is so simple. Respect, reverence, fear God, and then do what He says.